begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And we'll go down to the catechism memory work. What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution. That is, forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. And the Bible memory work. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's uh, evening prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, so just by way of review, we talked on Sunday about, uh, we started talking about baptism, and we really got through that first question of uh, Luther's in the small catechism, what is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but is water included in God's command and combined with God's word. What is this word of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so what is baptism? And the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, okay, what does the word actually mean? Um, because it is a word that Jesus uses. And uh, the word in Greek, baptizo, it means to wash with water, right? And we kind of looked at these, uh, this idea of the definition, right? That sometimes people will say the definition of baptizo is to immerse. That is a definition, but that's not the primary definition, right? Like if you look in a dictionary, you got multiple definitions for the same same word. Um, the primary definition uh, throughout most of Koine Greek is to wash with water. We have plenty of instances of, of uh, baptisms that are not just uh, immersion, right? And then uh, that gets picked up uh, throughout church history, depending on different traditions. People, Some people prefer immersion. Some people prefer uh, uh, sprinkling or washing. And um, however it's done is good as long as the water is uh, really applied, right, to the person. So uh, baptism is not just plain water, though. It's water combined with God's word. And so what's that word? Matthew 28, when Jesus institutes baptism to wash in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So to wash with water 
in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in this uh, definition, Luther is picking up on this idea of sacrament uh, that we talked about the means of grace, right? Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, rose again from the dead. How does that forgiveness and life come to us? How does that grace, how does that favor of God come to us in his mercy? Well, it comes to us by the means of grace, um, which are the sacraments, which are, are also means of grace. Uh, first of all, through his preached word, which creates faith, um, but also in these sacraments, uh, baptism, confession, absolution, the Lord's Supper. And what's a sacrament? Okay, A sacrament is a physical element with, so in, in baptism, this is water, that uh, Christ instituted in his word to have the forgiveness of sins attached to it. Right, So with uh, baptism, that's the water, Matthew 28, and the, the promise of forgiveness of sins, which we'll get to in a minute. With the Lord's Supper, that's bread and wine, Christ instituted, Matthew 26, for instance, uh, to be his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. Right. So these are sacraments. Um, we'll talk about whether or not confession and absolution is a sacrament when we get there, because uh, that's always kind of debated. Um, but that's what—that's the basic definition of what baptism is, right? And you've all seen baptisms. You—you uh, you know what a baptism looks like, right? Uh, at the heart of it, right? There's a lot of rituals within the within the rite, but at the heart of it, it's when uh, the pastor, as God's servant, uh, takes the water and washes the persons uh, it, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So what does that do? That's the next question. What, what is the power of baptism? What does, why does Jesus institute this? Right? And think of Matthew 28. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded. That baptizing is an intricate part of making disciples. And as we'll see from some of the other scriptures, baptism is uh, commanded by God for the good of the church and for the salvation of the people, right? Baptism is a, a necessary thing. So we're going to talk about this. Um, so what does it do? What does it do? And that's what Luther asked next. What benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. Okay, so baptism Forgive sins. Uh, so we had already said that it does this, um, but that's not actually totally uh, explicit in Matthew 28, right? But Jesus doesn't just teach about baptism in Matthew 28. That's when he institutes it for the church, but he teaches about it elsewhere. And uh, let's let's look at a couple verses. So the first one we'll do is the one that Luther uses. Christ, what, which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So we see there that baptism is explicitly tied to salvation. Baptism is explicitly tied to salvation. 
Now, faith is, of course, a part of that, right? Faith and baptism save. And we've already kind of seen how uh, faith and baptism go together, right? Uh, so when we think about the, the means of grace, we have the preached word, which creates faith, right? And then that faith, it believes in the waters of baptism, right? It believes in Jesus' word. But uh, baptism also bestows faith, right? Baptism uh, gives faith. Luther has a line about this where he says, um, when it comes to trust or, fa- or faith in baptism, right, we believe that even infants who are baptized have faith in the promises of the word connected to the water. But we also believe that by baptizing, which is salvific and which Christ commands, that faith is also being worked in the person as well. Right? So they go together. And you can see that in Matthew 28. Right? Bap- how do you make disciples? You baptize and teach. Right? Teach and baptize. Baptize and teach. Uh, these things go together, right? And um, th- just as kind of an aside, right? So we'll talk about infant baptism in depth in a, in a minute, but um, when we baptize infants, we expect those infants to then be raised in the church, right? Now, different pastors have different practices on this, um, but my practice essentially is that if, if there's someone that, that brings a child that I don't know um, that aren't, you know, maybe they're distant, distantly connected to the congregation in some way. But, you know, some, some grandmother brings her ch- grandchild and is like, hey, I want my grandchild to be baptized. Um, and they are not the, you know, the, the children's parents and the child themselves are not active in the church and have no plans to be active in the church. I'm going to be pretty skeptical of doing that baptism, right? Because um, and it's not that I don't want that child to have the gift of baptism, but there is an expectation that someone who's baptized into the faith is then going to also be raised in that faith, right? They're going to be taught that faith. And uh, Luther actually has this line where he says, uh, you know, infant baptism is great, but you're not doing ch- children any favors by having them baptized, right? I mean, you are giving them, and in one sense you are, right, of course, because you're giving them salvation, but you're also putting a target on their back for the devil, right? Now, of course, a target's on their uh, back for the devil no matter what. But uh, if you're baptizing them, then you are marking them as one redeemed by Christ crucified. And now the devil really wants to get them, right? So uh, this is, is something to think about is that there needs to be, and this is why with adults, we actually, if an adult comes and is not baptized, we actually just go ahead and catechize them first and then baptize them, right? Um, because teaching and baptism need to, go, need to go together. And since an adult um, certainly has that, that cognitive uh, ability to, to go ahead and just be catechized along with the baptism. Um, now, again, there, are, there is a variety of practices on that, but the historic practice is generally go ahead and do a basic catechesis first and then baptize with an adult, right? Where with an infant, we baptize and then we continue to teach. So, um, but the baptism and teaching go together. Baptism and faith go together. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, so 
Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized uh, will be saved, right? So baptism saves. And we can look at some other verses, which we'll do in a minute for that. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, this is great because it's a paradox, right? And Lutherans love paradoxes. So how come it's believes and is baptized for salvation, but only not believing for condemnation, right? Well, that's because the only unforgivable sin is the rejection of the Holy Spirit, right? The only thing that sends someone to hell is unbelief. That's the only thing that condemns. Uh, And the thing that saves, ultimately, finally, at the end of the day, is faith, right? And so this answers the question, um, can someone be saved without being baptized? Well, yes. And we have uh, instances of that, the, the most famous historical instance was most likely the thief on the cross, right? The thief on the cross, probably not baptized. Jesus says today, you're going to be with me in paradise because he shows faith, right? He, he has faith. Um, most commonly in our world and in our, in our church and ministry, the people who are uh, saved without baptism, uh, stillborn children, right? Um, we, we believe that stillborn children or, or miscarriage, miscarried children um, can't have faith in the womb, right? John the Baptist had faith in the womb of Elizabeth uh, or also like a deathbed uh, conversions, right? So say someone's in a tragic car accident, uh, they come to faith, they're laying on the side of the road, no one, there's not water to baptize them, something like that, right? So um, those kinds of instances, they do happen, they're rare, but they happen. Um, and uh, we, we believe that, that baptism is not absolutely necessary. So this is uh, actually the way that the Lutheran dogmaticians have talked about this for a while, which is pretty interesting. They say that baptism is necessary, but not absolutely necessary, right? Which is kind of, a, um, a par- again, a paradox, right? Because we also want to say, okay, you can be saved without baptism, but why would you deny it? Right? God commands it. It does save. And uh, it, is, it is necessary in this way. Right? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And the analogy I've heard to describe this is, um, I think, a pretty good one, is that imagine a prisoner of war who is in some really harsh prisoner of war camp, treated really poorly. Uh, for years and years, they're only fed, fed breadcrumbs and just you know, dirty water, just enough to survive, like barely enough to survive. And they get out, the war ends, they're liberated. And you ask them, did you have what was necessary for human life? The answer would be, no, not really, right? But if you said, did you have what was absolutely necessary to sustain human life? The answer would be, well, yeah, right, because I'm still alive. So that's kind of the deal is that baptism is super important. There are rare instances where it's not absolutely necessary for salvation, but it is salvific. Okay, so does that, if that kind of makes sense. Uh, and Mark 16, 16 is good in this way because it just says both true statements <laughs> um, that kind of contradict each other <laughs> logically. Uh, but let's look at a couple other verses um, about the... Salvation that comes with baptism. So, 
Well, we'll actually go ahead and go uh, into Luther, Luther's third question, which which quotes Titus, which is a good one. So Luther says, how can water do such great things, right? How can water, uh, how can this baptism forgive sins? How can it save? How can it rescue from death and the devil? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts in the word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism, but with the word of God, it is a baptism that is a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously, which is, by the way, another good argument that baptism is not necessarily immersion, right? Because here Titus, uh, Paul talks about it to Titus as being a water poured out on, uh, poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Okay, so here we see that baptism regenerates, right? It's a new birth from above, right? So whenever uh, Lutherans talk about being born again, right, we're talking about baptism. And that's another place we can go is John chapter 3, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, uh, unless you are born again, or born again from above, right, regenerated from above, uh, you cannot, uh, by water and the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? Water and the Spirit, what's he talking about? He's talking about baptism, right? And how do you know he's talking about baptism? Well, what happened in Jesus' baptism? He's in the water and the Spirit descends on him, Right? And what, did, what does Jesus say when he institutes baptism? You're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And notice that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, trying to connect some of these verses together, part of that means, so one side of in the Father, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means that God is doing the action, right? So when the pastor baptizes the person, it's not Pastor Myers baptizing, right? And this was actually a problem in the early church. Paul talks about this. He says, I'm glad I only baptized a couple of you because you're arguing about which pastor baptized you and how that makes you a better Christian than the person who was baptized by Joe Schmo, but I was baptized by Paul or whatever, right? Um, he says, don't say that because baptism is something that God does, right? I'm baptizing in God's name. In God's stead, right? Just like when I uh, administer the Lord's Supper and I say, this is my body. I'm not saying this is Pastor Meyer's body, right? This is Jesus' body, right? Or when I pronounce the absolution of sins, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. I forgive you all your sins, right? It's not about me. It's Christ speaking through me. That's what pastors are for. Um, that's kind of what the sermon's going to be about today. But, um, right, so that's part of in the name of. The other part of in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that you are being baptized into God, right? So uh, how? look at some of these things that we've already talked about. So first of all, the Spirit is given, and we can look, another verse we can bring in is Acts 2, 42 and 43, when Peter is preaching to the Jews, and uh, they say, what must, uh, they're cut to the heart after they hear his Pentecost sermon, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Uh, 
and for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit comes on us, right? We've been poured out uh, generously through Jesus Christ so that having been justified by his grace, um, uh, washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Titus, right? So we receive the Spirit. We receive the Spirit. What happened in Jesus' baptism? In Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends on him, right? In our baptism, the Spirit descends on us. The baptism is when we receive the Spirit. Um, and then what else does uh, Paul say to Titus? Right, that we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And in Galatians, Paul talks about how we're co-heirs with Christ, right? So what is Jesus' inheritance from God the Father? Eternal life, right? He's God, right? He's God from God, light from light, very God from very God, right? He, Jesus' inheritance as the only begotten Son of the Father, begotten, not made, is the life he lives as God. Well, Jesus wants us to share in that, right? Jesus wants us to have that inheritance with him, to inherit eternal life with him. And so we become heirs having the hope of eternal life when we are baptized. And then baptism is when God becomes our father, right? Uh, Paul often talks about baptism as adoption as sons, right? We receive the spirit by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so, and, and that t- takes us back to the Lord's prayer, right? That God wants us to call him our father, right? He wants us to be, he wants us to be his dear children. And so think about that relationship with the Trinity, that in baptism, you become a son of the father, you become a co-heir with Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit. You get to participate with the Trinity in this way, right? So um, baptism is in the name of the father, son, and Holy Spirit. It's being connected to God in a very deep way, okay? So um, that's how come baptism can save, right? That's how it can rescue from death and devil is it's connecting you to God, to, to the Holy Trinity. Um, we can look at a couple other verses too. I'm going to pull out Rod's sheet here um, since he made that for me. Um, so a good one is 1 Peter 3, right? That uh, Peter is talking about the ark and the story of Noah as a foreshadowing of baptism. And he uh, says in verse 21 of 1 Peter 3, this is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, right? Baptism now saves us. Just as Noah and his family were saved through the ark of the Christian church, or or through the ark that Noah built, um, I'm jumping ahead, through the ark in the water, so now, baptism saves us. The washing of water saves us. And uh, yeah, I really don't know how people who deny the salvation of baptism um, get around that verse, right? Baptism now saves us. <laughs> it seems so uh, obvious to me, right? And, and Peter even clarifies, right? Not as a removal of filth from the flesh, right? But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, he's washing not our outward flesh. It's not just a symbol, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying this is a real washing of your soul. Um, so uh, we have First Peter three. Um, I, th- I think I already brought up Acts two, right? Receive, uh, repent, and uh, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? And uh, we'll get to the next verse and that in a second. Um, yeah, for, for all of you who are sons of God through faith, this is Galatians 3, I mentioned this earlier. For all of you who are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Right? We become God's children. We put on Christ. We become part of him. Okay? Um, so that's the salvation of baptism. That's what baptism does. And now, any uh, any questions, comments so far? Someone's got to come up with something so I can take a drink here. So, so there you go. What, what happens to... Well, do they have faith, right? Yeah, but they can have faith. So um, this brings up the topic of infant baptism, uh, of course, because what we want to talk about is is what is faith. And um, so the, the Lutheran position is that infant baptism is right because infants and young children can have faith. That it's so. And the question is about those that are not baptized. They die. Right. Um, but my my point is that when we talk about who goes to heaven, the question ultimately is who has faith, right? Like we talked about. So um, if for some reason a one-year-old is not baptized, who but who has faith. We believe that God will be merciful to them because they have faith, right? They that um, just like Mark sixteen sixteen says, uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, right? So at the end of the day, ultimately, absolutely, finally, the question is faith. Did did they have faith or did they not have faith? Um, doesn't there's no age distinction when it comes to faith and not faith. Right now, um, pastorally, we want to deal with each situation individually. So, pastorally, the question would be uh, like, well, what is this person's life situation? Like, why is it that is this a member of the Lutheran Church? Like, why isn't the one-year-old baptized? Um, because baptism does give this blessed assurance, right? But if you know, say. This is just a, a person that we know that happens to be in the Baptist church, and because they're in the Baptist church, they're obviously or likely not going to be baptized. Um, yes, that's very sad, but that doesn't negate them from having saving faith. right? They can still have saving faith. Um, so the question is, do they have saving faith? And then, and then from there, we would um, kind of kind of deal with that, right? And then, what would make us think that they did or didn't have faith, which we can talk about that. Yeah, Garrison. Um, so I'm just curious. I'm sure that there's not like an actual answer to this because there's no way of really knowing. But like when you do think about a one-year-old and the concept of a one-year-old having faith, I mean, there's plenty of things that a one-year-old just doesn't understand. This is why we have to, you know, raise them 
hearing the word and, and teaching them. So, but are there just any ideas on like what an infant's faith even even looks like? Like what the faith that they're experiencing is like? Or is it just some kind of understanding that they're a sinner in need of a savior or something like that? I know what I know there's no like we can't really know the answer to that. Right. So I think the the struggle that um, y'all are both kind of talking about is that when we think of faith as adults and even as younger or grown children, um, you know, especially when you get into like, I, I, th- I see this shift in my kids, right? So Matthias understands Jesus differently than the other kids. And he, like when it comes to the Lord's Supper, so this different topic, right? He, of his own accord now says, hey, I know that's Jesus' body and blood, right? So um, he has a cognitive understanding that Esther, for instance, does not. Um, She's two, he's six. So, um, but especially as adults, we understand faith through a cognitive lens, right? We understand faith through the lens of uh, basically logic, right? That um, I know that I've been convinced by the word to believe these things. And I, I know cognitively that I trust in Jesus, right? Faith is not, at the end of the day, actually cognitive, right? Faith is of the heart, even in adults. Now, we, we because we are very cognitive beings, we understand it through that lens. But at the end of the day, faith in and of itself is not cognitive. Faith is of the heart. And that's what we can't see uh, clearly expressed in infants because they don't have the cognitive language capacity to, uh, to confess that, right? But um, faith is not something that is necessarily cognitive, right? So trust, what is faith? Faith is trust, right? It's, um, faith is being honest that we are dependent on God. Well, when a baby comes out of the womb, they have trust, they have faith, right? They cry out for their mom and they have faith that their mom's gonna feed them, right? They trust in their parents, to, to take care of them. They de- they're honest about their dependency, right? They, they're, they're the most honest people there are about their dependency, right? They just cry all the time. Um, that's faith, right? That's, that's trust in someone else to provide for you and someone else to have favor on you, right? To have grace toward you. And um, this is why, so I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse here. I mean, I, we were gonna talk about infant baptism in a separate section, but... Uh, Jesus, in fact, uses children as the example of faith, right? Uh, Multiple times in his ministry does he call children to himself and say things like, unless you have the faith of this little child, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? Um, And in fact, so in Mark 8, uh, let's see. 
or Mark. So we'll do, yeah, Mark 10 here. Um, they brought the little children. Now the word for little children there in the Greek is brephos. So there's two words, just like we have um, basically like babies and kids. There's the same distinction in Greek, right? Brephos is the word for babies, right? These are little children. Um, these are babies. They brought the, the little babies, the, the, the little children, the babies, to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them, right? Why did the disciples do that? Because babies are kind of gross. Right? <laughs> They're snotty, and, um, and, they, and they cry, and they, and they disturb things, right? This is, this is how babies are. Um, and the disciples, being you know, good, uh, orderly people, um, members of society, right? They, they don't want the, the babies getting in the way. And uh, he rebukes them. And he says to them, let the babies, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for to such is the kingdom of God. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a baby, as a little child, will by no means enter it. And he took him up in his arms and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them, right? Um, and then... Um, and the chapter earlier, right, uh, he, he also said this. He, he took one of the little babies and sat in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever uh, receives me receives not me but him who sent me, right? So um, these babies are the, the symbols that God uses as faith, that Christ uses as faith. Yeah. So I'm... So is it possible that when an infant is baptized, you know, even though the parents, the pastor, everyone present is assuming that it has faith, it doesn't actually have faith? Or would our understanding be that because the entire act of baptism is a work of God, the infant, like, it does have faith? Yeah, so this is a good question. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're just going to go out of order in all this, which is fine. The puzzle pieces will fit together. Um, so we do make a distinction between, ba- like, like I said earlier, we don't just baptize any child, right? We don't just go on the street and pick up children and be like, oh, you, you're not baptized. You need to be baptized. You know, let's get to, some spray bottles up in here and get these kids baptized. Right. Um, they faith and baptism go together, right? Teaching and baptism go together. And so we're only going to baptize babies who uh, we plan on continuing to teach, right? And who, in a sense, are already being taught, right? So um, this is uh, ba- basically children of church families, right? That the the parents and the household, right? And this, I mean, I think there's biblical precedent for this. The, the Bible often speaks in terms of, like, baptizing the household, right? And the household coming to faith. Right, that within someone's house, there's an assumption that a. Now, of course, of course, there might be cases where, you know, certain people in the household are not in line with one another. But in general, when we speak of the faith of a family, right, it kind of goes together. And so, um, and and Paul specifically tells that to the Philippian jailer, right, be baptized you and your household. So, um, we baptize those who are of households of faith. And we assume that 
that baby is being raised in the faith and has faith when they come to the font. Right? And this is why we have sponsor in the Lutheran church we have what are called baptismal sponsors, what used to be called godparents that answer the questions of faith on behalf of the child. Um, because those sponsors are then going to encourage the upbuilding of that faith throughout that child's life. Now, directly to your question, is it a chance that the child uh, does not have faith? Well, there's a a couple things to say. One, this is a more modern idea. I mean, it's worth thinking about. I don't know exactly how true it is, but... It has been shown pretty scientifically, I think, at this point, that children can hear in the womb. So especially children of faithful families who are coming to church and hearing the word, that child is hearing the word preached. Now, I, wouldn't, I don't put all my eggs in that basket, right? I'm not like, oh, good, as long as the pregnant mom was in church, that means the child has faith, right? Um, because that's just not something we can see. What we can see biblically is the example of John the Baptist, for instance, Right, that John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth recognizes the voice of Mary and, and the presence of Jesus in leaps. Right, So um, I think certainly babies, uh, like with the Mark passages we read as well, it's pretty clear babies biblically can have faith. Right. Um, now, what is interesting, if you read old Lutherans, like the Lutherans, like right after Luther, I just went to a presentation on this at at the pastor's conference I went to in Wisconsin. Um, The way that they talked about this was by prayer. That one of the things that we do in the church is pray for pregnant mothers and for their babies in the womb. And we pray that God would give them faith. And because we are Christians and we believe that God hears our prayers and answers them, we trust that God has answered those prayers. Right um, now, uh, that's not to say, of course, that if oh, you know, we went this whole pregnancy and we forgot to pray for the baby, right? Um, that maybe that they don't, maybe they don't have faith or something like that. But it is to say uh, that's a, a very laudable and good practice, right? To pray for the faith of these babies leading up to the baptism, right? And um, I know for one, whenever there's a pregnant woman in the congregation, um, whenever they give birth, I'll go and visit them before the baptism. Partly just like planning purposes, right? Just like plan the baptism and stuff. Um, but I pray that that with them, right? I pray that the child would um, have faith and come to faith, and that God would increase their faith. And uh, we we kind of uh, talk about about raising the child in the faith, right? Um, so I think those are good things. Uh, then finally, what I what I I think I mentioned this earlier, but Luther has this line that um, whenever we Whenever we see an infant baptism, and baptism in general, right? It's not just infants. Um, we believe that the faith, trust in that baptism that they have, but that baptisms also work faith, right? Because baptisms save, and and what ultimately saves is faith, right? So baptisms themselves, as a Christian baptism, do uh, give faith, right? And and they do uh, regenerate, right? That it's an it's an external act of God on that person to baptize them, and that that baptism, while the while they while the person has faith that trusts in is that that's trusting in what's happening, um, that then the baptism itself also works faith 
as well, right, in that person. So it kind of goes both ways. Um, Now, would we say doctrinally that there's ever a time where a person may be baptized where they have absolutely no faith? Um, It's possible, right? It's a weird situation. It's probably, um, and it's especially hard to imagine with an infant, especially one of a Christian family. Um, But you, I can't imagine a scenario where, like, a wicked adult, like, tricks a pastor into baptizing them. I mean, that would be really weird, but it could happen, theoretically, right? Um, where they actually don't believe, but they're like, they, they want to mess with the church or something, or I don't know. So they, they're like, they come and they get baptized, um, but they don't believe anything. I mean, that's possible, right? But we do also teach it's possible to reject your baptism, right? So, uh, I mean, Hebrews uh, talks pretty clearly about falling away from faith, right? This is why we don't believe in once saved, always saved, because um, it's it certainly seems both anecdotally and biblically like someone can receive the true gifts of Christ for their salvation and then later on in life reject those and and walk away from them right and give themselves over to the devil right that that certainly seems uh possible so um so it, that that that's possible right and uh that's why we again put a em- heavy emphasis on teaching following baptism right that uh we want to um these people to be raised in their baptism okay so um that actually gets to the next point i want to make so let me do this real quick and then we can get back into infant baptism. There's a couple more arguments for infant baptism I want to touch on. What time is it? All right, I got a little bit of time. So um, the final question Luther asked about baptism is, what does such baptizing with water indicate? And this is about the baptismal life, right? This is about the life following baptism. He says, it indicates by the, that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter six, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life, right? That baptism is something that we return to daily, right? So uh, if you look at Romans six, what Paul does in Romans six is he says, look, Jesus died and rose again. In your baptism, you also died. To sin. You drown the old Adam, right? Water is this two-way thing. Water can both drown, it can kill, it can destroy, right? It can be a hurricane, it can be a flood, but water also gives life, right? We need water to live. Water rejuvenates and water saves. Um, it's interesting. I, I meant to touch on this earlier when we talked about 1 Peter 3. The uh, place where people sit in the church, right? We call the whole thing the sanctuary, um, but we have the chancel up here and we have the narthex out there. Does anyone know what the this, the place where people sit is called in the middle? The nave. Nave is Latin for ship, right? And that's because the place of the church where we're sitting is like being on the ark with Noah, right? It's the place of the baptized, floating on the waters of the world. And um, that is a life that is lived out, okay? That... Your baptism connected you with Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And that death to sin and new life to God is something that's going to happen in your life daily until you come to the new heavens and the new earth, right? That by daily contrition and repentance, we drown that old Adam in our baptismal waters and we rise again to live a new life, right? And, then, and this is um, why sometimes we talk about, I haven't written on the board at all today, got to do that, uh, baptismal identity, right? That part of what baptism does is it gives us this identity in God, kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? It, it adopts us as children of God. It makes us co-heirs with Christ. It gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. We're baptized Christians. And this is something that we live out in dying to sin and in living our life to God. Uh, Luther says that every time you wash your face, you should remember you're, bapti- you're baptized, right? Because God instituted water to be um, for this gift, right? Now, not every time you wash your face is a new baptism, but every time you wash your face is a reminder that God used water to wash you, right? And uh, this, is a, this is a great thing. This is a great thing. Okay. Um, so that's why I wanted to, to cover. So, I mean, I think Luther's great here, right? So what is baptism? What benefits does it give? And then what does that mean for our life, right? <laughs> these, are, these are good questions. I think we've kind of answered. Um, any questions on anything so far? And then I want to just cover a few more things on infant baptism in the time we have left. That's all we talked about. Yeah. It's, it's just how to phrase it. Should, should you say, I was baptized or I am baptized? I always thought that you should say, I am baptized. Yeah, I think, I think both, are, both are true statements, right? But the um, I am baptized is a good confession that this is something that's ongoing, right? right? So, uh, it's a permanent thing. It's not a one-time activity. Right. Like, I am a member or I wasn't inducted. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And there's that great uh, hymn in the hymnal, right? I am baptized into Christ. God's own child, I gladly say it. Uh, God... How's that go? God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. That's um, a good, like, it's got a lot of eighth notes in there. Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, really good point. Any other questions, comments? Okay, so uh, back to infant baptism. Um, we, we kind of already put a couple of the puzzle pieces together, right? When we talked about infant faith, I think infant faith is really important um, that we're not, because uh, people will accuse Lutherans of saying, um, look, at, look at what the Bible says about baptism. It's always connecting baptism and faith, right? Uh, that, that people believe and are baptized. And uh, our answer is, yeah, great. I just believe that babies can have faith, right? Um, I believe that babies are saved, right? Uh, and this gets into like the, um, so, I mean, obviously in the South, you're dealing with a lot of Southern Baptists uh, and, and various groups that are kind of related to the Southern Baptists. And, you know, they have this kind of doctrine of the age of accountability, right? That basically children are innocent until uh, a certain age to be determined. <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, the Bible just doesn't really teach that, Right. The Bible teaches that all men are born sinful and that all deserve punishment and that all need faith to be saved. And there's no age discrepancy there. 
right? And so, if that's true, right, if we're born in original sin and we need salvation, uh, then the gifts that bring salvation are for all people, right? And and th- think of how baptism is described, that baptize, go therefore to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That it's an all-inclusive thing. There's no asterisk there that says, uh, except for the except for the children under 12, don't baptize them yet, right? Um, when you go to these nations, only baptize the ones over 12 years old, right? It doesn't say that. Um, and then um, I think the, the real nail in the coffin verse on this is Acts 2, uh, 39, right? So when Peter preaches this Pentecost sermon at the end, he says, uh, they were cut to the heart and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, um, or Pe- and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent every one of you, every one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call. Peter specifically says there that the gift of baptism is for children, right? And I, I, I've asked some Baptists before, like, what do you do with that verse? And they're like, yeah, we were never taught that verse. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only answer I've heard, right? Um, and so, I, I mean, I have nothing against my Baptist friends, but um, yeah, I think uh, that verse is pretty clear. Um, another good argument is like, what is the, so Jesus says in Mark, for to such babies is the kingdom of God. What is the normal way that someone enters the kingdom, right? The normal way that someone enters the kingdom is by baptism. Um, and if it was not baptism that babies entered the kingdom, God would, Christ would have to give some other way, right? He would give some sort of indication, right? And this is the whole argument from silence thing. So the, the main argument that people who are against infant baptism will bring is, well, there's no instance of babies being baptized in the New Testament. Okay, um, that's not really a real argument <laughs> because there are no instances of lots of things in the New Testament, right, that we do. There are no instances of women taking communion in the New Testament. Should we ban women from taking communion? Right, of course not. Um, but what is implied, if you look at all the passages about baptism and children, is that this gift was not uh, um, hidden from them, right? This this gift was was given to them, right? He tells the, the, the Philippian jailer, um, be baptized you and your household, right? Peter says, this gift is for you and your children, right? And not just your children over 12, right? So we're, so we're in that verse, that then, series Mark 10, where they brought the little children, he mm-hmm. such walks, where, where in there is baptism? Uh, it's not directly in there, but this is the way that, how, how is God's kingdom extended? By baptizing and teaching. Well, I wouldn't say it's baptism per se, but the point is that this is how Jesus treats children. I mean, Jesus doesn't baptize any adults either, right? right? Uh, G- uh, what Jesus is doing there is talking about faith and babies. 
I'm extrapolating what Jesus says about faith in babies to what the Bible also teaches about baptism and connecting those things. I think you got, I mean, you got to let scripture interpret scripture, right? Um, and and it, it is true. Nowhere in the Bible does it say uh, you should baptize babies, right? And this is why the controversy even exists. But if you add everything together and systematize it in a way that's logical, I think you come up with this conclusion, right? Um, and this is the one more argument, and then I'll uh, we'll, we'll hear Garrison's question, is that the other argument that is, is at least very convincing to me is that no Christian until the 1600s ever came up with the idea that we should not baptize babies, right? There, I have a document somewhere that lists a bunch of early church fathers talking about baptizing infants. And um, then, I mean, this, this was just, we have records showing this was the practice of the church. And then in the, 1600, in the 1500s, 1600s, you come up with these Anabaptists whose direct descendants are the Amish and Mennonites. And they're the first ones to say, we reject the baptism of babies. Yeah, there might have been some people, but it did not take off. But it didn't take off. I mean, that wasn't the majority practice. I should, yeah, I should clarify. There, there were, there were always, not always, but yeah, starting in yeah, been, the early church, there's been some reference, but that that was never adopted by any church, right? Like, I mean, yeah, like a person here, a person there, but the, I mean, the Western Catholic Church um, and the Eastern Church, for that matter, they baptized babies from the early church on. I mean that. Like widespread practice was um, not until the Anabaptists really took off. Hey, don't take don't take my question. I'm, I'm anti. I'm trying to. I, no, I know. I know. I'm around with the Baptists to get that verse and saying, see, Jesus didn't have it right there. He could have said, as long as these kids are baptized, it's such belong to the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say that. He I would say, what what is what is the normal route to the kingdom of heaven? And it. it Part of it comes like this. Yeah, well, by faith, but faith and baptism go along, right? And the really, uh, the problem with infant baptism is more so the rejection of baptismal regeneration, right? It's the rejection of baptism um, by salvation, like uh, that, that baptism is salvific, right? Because if baptism is just a symbol, then there is no reason that babies need it, right? Then blessing them is fine, right? Then we, we don't need to baptize them. But if baptism is, sal- is salvific, and if babies are sinners, then we should baptize them, right? And so, um, and that's, that's the normal way into the kingdom, right? By baptism and faith. I mean, faith, yes, but, bap- but also baptism, right? Um, so, yeah, Garrison, do you have a question? Okay. All right. Uh, any other comments, questions? You got more, Rod? We can. I, I don't know where we got. We're one minute over. Um, yeah. So those two controversies are really connected. I think. I mean, I think you. It, if you don't argue for baptismal regeneration, then 
arguing for infant baptism doesn't make as near as much sense, right? You got kind of got to have both, but I think both are taught in the Bible. I mean, I think both are pretty biblical. So, um, all right. Uh, I think that's all we really need to talk about with baptism. Um, we'll pick up at the confession and absolution next week. Yeah. Right. Same with the word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your gift of baptism, that you have made us your children, and that you continue uh, to work through that in us, that we would die daily to our sin and uh, rise again to live new lives in you. We pray this and uh, thank you for this uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.